Will you join me in the scripture reading? Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. David said, Mephibosheth. He answered, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeisance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated, please. So Pastor Brandon warned me, he said, you need to warn them before the scripture reading about that name, Mephibosheth. And I just totally forgot until we were reading the scripture and no one said it except for Pastor Brandon and me. <laughs> Everybody waited till the next word. But I promise you'll know it when we're done today. And I'm going to make it up to you now because do you love stories with happy endings? Yeah, great stories. We have a rule in my house. You know, pastors collect stories. I'm not allowed to tell stories about animals unless it has a happy ending, right? So as soon as I start telling this story about a man and about a dog, just know that it has a happy ending. It may take us a minute to get there, but it will have a happy ending. Otherwise, my family will be texting me during the sermon saying, why? So it's a wonderful story I read in the, in the um, London Herald. They do great uh, human interest stories, and I think they send their young reporters out to do it which is really cool. So it's about a young reporter. She goes out and she visits an older man someone has told her about. His name is Doug. And Doug has been very sad because his wife passed away and and his children live in another country. So he's been living all by himself. So Doug comes up with a great idea. He's going to go down to the pound and adopt a dog that nobody else wants. Really a wonderful idea. So he goes down to the local pound and the attendant is leading him around and they, they bring out baskets filled with puppies, several baskets. Don't you want a puppy? You know, they'll live a long time with you. And he's not quite sure he's, he's at that age where he can handle a puppy. He kind of thinks that might be a little tough. I'm, he said, I'm kind of looking for a more mature dog. They show him a few others, but nothing kind of rings true with Doug. And finally, he sees a dog in a cage and it's obviously much older. And so Doug asks the attendant, what about this, uh, this spaniel up here? And the attendant says, well, I don't think you want him. He, uh, he's really quite old. We don't expect him to live more than you know, a couple of years, if that. And to be honest, we're just getting ready to put him down. And Doug asked the attendant, well, what's his name? And the attendant says, well, his name's Dougie. Well, you know what's going to happen, right? Doug adopts Dougie. And they become this wonderful and amazing team together. Isn't that a great picture? Yeah, you should say, aw. Everybody say, aw. Right? Fabulous story about these two that come together, these two souls, and they form this wonderful bond, and they become a family together. Doug and Dougie, they go everywhere. They do everything together. And the young writer that was writing the story for the London Herald said, when I was around the two of them, I was overwhelmed with one particular emotion. The two of them shared an emotion together all the time, man and animal, and it was so powerful that I could feel it. And that emotion was gratitude, right? Doug was so thankful to have Dougie in his life, and Dougie was so thankful to have Doug. 
that just they just experience and expressed in a really powerful way a sense of gratitude. We've been studying Mark Battison's book called The Three Words That Change Everything, Please, Sorry, Thanks. And I love this idea because as a therapist, I, I like to give people tools to help in their relationships. And if you can't remember it, the tool's really not very good. But these words you can remember and learn and put into practice in your own life. So they're really powerful. And we're going to just review a little bit. You remember the first week we learned the Hebrew word na, which is please. Na, 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 na. We sang the little song. Now let's say this together. A timely please can help you unlock the rule of reciprocity for greater results. Discover the power of we is greater than me and honor others above yourself. I think that's so powerful. Please connects us with the human beings around us on a real human kind of level. We, we recognize the people of, of, around us. We see that, that we is greater than me and we honor the people around us. Saying please is a sign of respect. It's a way to honor other people. And it's a way to invite them to work with you uh, on your relationship or, that you, or any of the things you're facing in the world. It's an incredibly powerful word, simple, easy to remember, both in English and na in Hebrew. And they unlock, that word please unlocks the door to so many great things in life, especially in your closest relationships. And I shared that my wife and I have been trying to do uh, everything we le- learned about reading in this book. And, and please was the, kind of the easy one for us. We were able to learn, relearn to do that. We kind of neglected it, but we relearned to do that. Now, the next one was more of a challenge for Pretty and me. And we're still, we're still trying to get on with this one a bit. It was hata in Hebrew. It's a way of saying sorry. It's the word sorry. And sorry is so powerful. Let's share this. Let's do this together. A sincere sorry can lead you to mend broken relationships, strengthen connections through being radically vulnerable, and better understand the degrees of forgiveness. That's really powerful stuff and important stuff. Sorry can help mend broken relationships. If you just said that much, that's really all I need to be motivated to use that word, to mend broken relationships. That's really powerful. But it also strengthens our connections by being, helping us to be radically vulnerable. We are vulnerable people. You know, we're human. We're frail. We're, we're not perfect. It helps us remember that and remember that the people around us are also that way. It also helps us understand degrees of forgiveness. You know, it's one thing to, to, to say I'm sorry when you bump somebody in the line at, at Walmart or Lowe's or wherever you're shopping. It's a whole other deal to, to be able to say to someone, I'm sorry I broke your heart. And, and Mark Battison reminds us that as we use that, the important thing is we have, to really, we have to really believe the apology. We have to really commit ourselves to it. Just saying it's not enough. And now today we have a very special word. Let's say this together. A heartfelt thanks paves the way toward a resilient mindset of gratitude and an expectancy to see God move on your behalf. So thanks is this powerful word that connects us with our blessings and the blessing of the people around us, the relationships we have, the world we live in. But it also helps us create an expectancy of God to move on our behalf because we're living out of a life of gratitude. And you heard the the little Hebrew word that I taught the children during the prayer time today. It's toda. It it sort of sounds like ta-da. 
And so if you think of that, imagine your toe did something incredible and awesome, and then it's toda. Will you say that with me? Toda. So in Jesus' language, that would have been the word for thanks. Toda in Hebrew means thanks. Now today's Bible story with that big name, Mephibosheth, in it is really important and really powerfully shows the power of thanks when it's not only spoken, but it's lived out. Mephibosheth is a really tough name. In all the years I've been a pastor and the hundreds of children I've baptized, nobody has ever brought me a little baby Mephibosheth to baptize. I'm still waiting. And maybe after the story today, a couple of you might reconsider, might even want to rename your children. But, but so far, it hasn't happened. And maybe it's because the name Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. Most of us don't know this character in the Bible. Maribel is his real name or, or his other name that he's known by. And, and it was in past generations, men were sometimes named Maribel. But, but that's not true uh, in recent generations at all. So this name has a, a symbolic meaning, and it, it's, it's about living a life of brokenness. It's, it's how it's used in this story to describe somebody whose life is just broken. The story occurs uh, after David has become king. In previous weeks, we've been talking about David before he became king. Now he's the king, and he's ruling, and, and things have, have, have happened that are, that are going to be really powerful and difficult. But he starts off by, by becoming king and his followers, as well as the, the Philistines, their ancient enemies, go out and they decide they're going to wipe out all of the descendants of the previous king, first king of Israel, King Saul. They're going to get rid of all Saul's descendants. So there's no challenge to David's throne. David didn't order them to do that. That's just the way they did things back then. So they go out and they're slaughtering Saul's family including David's best friend, Jonathan, dies in battle. That's Saul's son, the crown prince, Jonathan. He's David's best friend. He dies in battle. They take him, they take his brothers and his uncles and his cousins, and they all take him down to a Philistine city and nail their bodies up on the wall uh, at the city at Betcham by the city gate. Now, eventually, centuries later, Jesus is going to come into this region and begin his, his ministry that goes beyond Israel in this place. And he's going to release a man named Legion from all of his demons. But right now, it's just an old, mean place where they do these horrible things. And we think that, that everybody is wiped out in Saul's family. There's nobody left. But there is one boy. Jonathan, David's best friend, Jonathan, who was the prince under Saul, Saul's son, has a son that survives. He's a little boy named Mephibosheth. And what happens is his maid is trying to save his life. When they come to kill all the children in Saul's family, his maid grabs Mephibosheth and she's running through a palace and she stumbles and falls and crushes his legs. And back in those days, there's you know, an orthopedic doctor. There's no, no surgery you can go have. And so he's left unable to walk. And he's spirited away in the night, broken, hunted, the target of assassination. And he ends up in this place called Lodabar, which is a very interesting place. It's, to us, it's just, you look it up on the map today and you look at it and it's just, you know, another place in Israel down by south of the Sea of Galilee. But it's on the wrong side of the Jordan. I don't know about where you grew up, but the town I grew up in, there was definitely a right side of the tracks and a wrong side of the tracks. And that's the way it worked in, in ancient Israel. To be on the west side of the Jordan, good stuff, everything great. On the east side, not so good. 
And so that's where Lodabar is. And Lodabar means no word or no thing. So Debar is word, like God's word, powerful things being spoken to you, loving things being said to you, thing like you have everything you need. Lo means no or none. So put lo in front of Debar and you get no word, no thing. Not a very happy place. Not a very happy place. In fact, you could say the Lodabar was nowhere and it was for nobody people. So I, as I was kind of reading this story over again, I kept thinking of, of that song, Nowhere Man by the Beatles. I mean, it's just, it's just the worst place. Now, it helps me to think of these stories out of the, of the Old Testament kind of as Westerns. You know, I'm an Oklahoma kid, and that just kind of helps me get a hold of the picture. And living in Lodabar, there's a guy named Malkar. And Malkar is, is a real special guy. He and his band of merry men have defeated one of the most tough groups uh, among the, the people that are outside of the Jews. And he's captured this area, and he lives there, but he's given up fighting. He's kind of a John Wayne character. Think of John Wayne and the Searchers, one of those shows. He's kind of this old gunfighter kind of guy who's been through every battle, been through every war. And he's now he's gone to this place where he thinks nobody will ever see him or contact him again, and he can just live out the rest of his days till he dies. But he takes in Mephibosheth. For some reason, he feels compassion for this, this poor child. And he takes Mephibosheth in, and he, and he raises him up and protects him. Now, Old Testament stories are, are very powerful in the way they're told. And as soon as we hear that Mephibosheth has ended up in the house of Malchiar, we're supposed to start thinking, aha, God is about to do something powerful. Malchiar is the descendant of Joseph. Joseph with a many colored coat who was betrayed by his family and hauled off to Egypt as a slave and then rose up. God lifted him up out of all that. That's who Malchiar is descended from. So it's a, it's a line of people who know what it's like to rise up from the ashes. And that's where Mephibosheth ends up. In fact, just when the story looks at its worst, you think about this poor boy, Mephibosheth. The assassins are out to get him. He's living in this terrible place that nobody wants to be. Something amazing happens. Gratitude is about to make something wonderful happen. And the biblical teaching here is very strong and very powerful and one that we need to incorporate into our hearts and souls. What the Bible is saying here is that if we live lives of gratitude, if we're intentional in saying thanks and doing thanks and being thankful people, that God can work through our lives in very powerful ways and reach us when we're in our Lodi Bar place, or, or help use us to reach people when they're in that place, Lodi Bar place, in their lives, and bring about wholeness and healing and transformation. This is a really, really, really important teaching. Jesus will refer to it over and over again, to live out of our gratitude. So back in the palace, David now is the new king. And everybody comes in and reports to him, hey, David, we've wiped out all of Saul's family. Yay, there's nobody to threaten your throne. But David's not happy. That's not good news to him. Not good news at all. Because David remembers that when he was a poor shepherd boy, 
And Saul, the king, grew jealous of him, and Saul was trying to kill him more than once. That Saul's own son, the crown prince himself, Jonathan, had befriended David, protected David, saved David's life. And now Jonathan was dead. And David, out of his gratitude, out of his sense of todah, he wanted to to say thank you in some way. He wanted to recognize what he had been given in the gift of Jonathan's friendship. And so he calls the court together. The king said, Is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Remember that phrase, kindness of God. It's very important. Zeba's one of the old servants. He's always worked in the palace. Zeba said to the king, There remains a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said, Where is he? Where is he? Now, there probably were people sitting around the throne room that day going, Aha, David's found the last descendant of Saul, and he's going to send us out and have us kill that guy. And now everything will be great because there'll be nobody to challenge David in his throne. Nobody to challenge him as king. But David does something very different. Something completely unexpected. Remember when we said gratitude is about to do something wonderful? Because David is grateful. Because David wants to say thank you. This so far heartbreaking story is about to take an amazing turn. Now in the Bible, it's important to remember that saying thanks alone is not enough. Right? Our great theologian, Pedro Perez, who runs our soundboard this week during the run-through, said, it's not just saying thanks, it's doing thanks. And I can quote you lots of theologians. I can't say it any better than Pedro said it. That, that's the biblical concept that Jesus will refer to over and over again. Yes, say thanks. It's important to be intentional in that. Because that opens the door to what we can do serving Christ in the world and our ministry in the world to Jesus Christ. But then it's more than saying things. It's actually getting out and doing it. This is the heart and soul, the very core of Methodist theology, if you're ever wondering or want to tell your friends. This is who we are. This is what our branch of Christianity is all about. We're so grateful for what Christ has blessed us with that in gratitude, we want to go out and change the world and make it better for other people. In fact, in the story, you remember David is talking about God's kindness. There's a word there, hesed. In the Bible, gratitude produces this thing called chesed. And it's a really powerful and important word. Walter Brueggemann, who's one of the great biblical theologians, said, it might be the most important word in the entire Bible. And he went on to say that, that almost for sure, everything Jesus teaches, every teaching of Jesus in the New Testament has some basis in this concept of chesed. You remember David says, is there someone in Jonathan's family to whom I may show? Literally, he says in Hebrew, chesed, the loving kindness of God. We translate it lots of different words, but it's a Hebrew word for love. Is there someone whom I may show love? David asks. Because out of gratitude, we, we experience God's love. We're grateful. And out of that gratitude, we want to share love with the people around us. Wesley said, we're like a cup it goes around spilling it all over everybody else. That's what we've experienced. 
It's actually a very difficult word to translate in English because there's so many different ranges. There's such a range of meaning, but that doesn't keep theologians from trying, right? There, there's, there's a lot there. Theologian John Oswald said, Hesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. If that sounds like grace, you're right. You're right. It's this, this experience of knowing grace, being grateful for the grace we've experienced in our life, and wanting to pass that grace on to other people as a way of saying thank you to God for God's blessings in our life. Well, I can't exactly explain Hesed, but I can show it to you. I can show you what Chesed is. This is Chesed. That's it. It's loving and being grateful and offering your best to someone else. It's living out of your gratitude. It's dug and duggy. Just loving and caring about each other and being so grateful for each other that, that that emotion just pours out into the people around you. Now, here's a biblical concept, part of that that's really powerful and lots of times we miss. Did you know that God is grateful for you? God is so grateful for you that God promises to offer you God's chesed. That's amazing, isn't it? It's really powerful. It's a powerful concept that God loves and cherishes us and is grateful for us. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my grandchildren. I'm grateful for the relationships in my life. Even when they're not going perfectly, I'm grateful. That's how God feels about us. There's this beautiful story in the 54th chapter of the book of Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah. And it's probably allegorical, but like a lot of those stories, uh, in the Bible, I think there's a, maybe a real live human being that it's based on. And it's a story about a woman who loses her husband. Maybe he deserts her. Maybe she's widowed. We're not quite sure from, from the way the story is told. But she's left alone. She's been barren. She hasn't been able to give, to give birth to children. And in that culture, that's like the worst curse ever for women. And so the other women in her village mock her and put her down and tell her all the time how worthless she is. But she remains faithful to God. And so this whole 54th chapter of the gospel uh, 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 in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, goes through God's love story for her. He writes her a love poem saying, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness. I'm grateful for the fact you just have the courage to get up every day and go on. Sometimes that's the biggest victory, right? Just have the courage to wake up and go, I'm going to do this one more day. I'm going to get one more day. God says, I see you doing that. I see you, single parent, getting your kids all the activities all week long and still bringing them to church. I see you, mom and dad, after you've been up all night with a sick child. I see you, single brothers and sisters, wondering where you're going to find relationships that matter. I see you, older adults, wondering what life still holds for you. I see you, every one of you, and every one of you is precious to me, God says. In fact, God says the most amazing thing to this woman in the 54th chapter of Isaiah. God says, sister, I hear you. Go get a bigger tent. Go get a bigger tent. It's like the greatest line in the whole Bible. We don't even just kind of fly by it. God's saying to her, I'm going to fill your life with people who love you. People are telling you you're worthless and unloved. Let me just tell you, I love you. And when I love you, I'm going to show you, I'm so grateful for you. I'm going to show you my hesed and your life is going to be filled with people who love you. And it concludes with this verse. This is God speaking to that woman. 
Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, Hesed, will for you will not be shaken. God says, God says there, I'm so grateful for you and your faithfulness that there is nothing that can ever take my love away from you. You're going to have my love in abundance. Hesed is not just a feeling, it's an action. Like our sound man Pedro said, it's, it's, it's doing things, not just saying Luce Terverberg is a great author. He said it, it intervenes on behalf of a loved one and comes to their rescue. To be so grateful for your life that, that, and, and, and the blessings you've received and the relationships you have that you look around and you see people who are struggling and that gratitude drives you to become involved in those lives and in the vulnerable people's lives around you to pour yourself out in helping them change their lives. Hesed, connected with Todai, is is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill, but it always entails practical action on behalf of the other. William Kynes, a great biblical scholar, said that. It means that, that we want to say thank you, and we say the words, and then we live the words. And that's hard. I mean, it, and it's harder for me with people I love very much, you know, because I just sort of think they ought to know. Or I just say the word kind of flippantly and I think, okay, I'm done with that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's being reminded of how important those relationships are. I mean, I almost forgot my anniversary's coming up, but a very nice jeweler uh, contacted me and said, can I show you a few things out of the catalog, right? So, I mean, it's that. I was very grateful for that, right? It, it's more than just saying the words. And here's the thing that's so powerful about it. When you say thanks... You often get a thanks back. I want you to really hear that. When you say thanks, you often get a thanks back. Somehow it creates allies where there were none before. It it creates relationships where there are none before. It creates covenants where, where either there wasn't one before or maybe it's been broken. It brings us back and unites us back. Thanks creates a sense of loyalty and a sense of when we're, of we're in this together. In a couple of weeks, May 13th, 10 or 12 of you, please call me a couple of days before that. When I celebrate my anniversary with my wife, I need 10 or 12 of you to be sure and call me before that, right? I'm going to be saying thank you. I'm going to be saying thank you specifically for being in this together, this thing called life. Thanks has that ability to to recognize that and and recreate and renew the relationships around us. It it draws us out of ourself and reconnects us with the other. So finally, David is in this place. He's been king for a long time now. And he's in this terrible place where his son Absalom leads a revolt against him. It's his worst nightmare. His family is destroyed and wrecked. His country's in civil war. All the bad things that he could have ever imagined are happening. And he finally starts to sort of win the war, but he knows that if he wins the war, he's going to lose. Because to win the war will mean destroying his family, particularly the ones that have rebelled against him. And so he's in this horrible position that even though he's winning militarily, he's losing emotionally. And to make it worse... His advisors and the people that surround the king, a lot of yes people, have come to him and said, oh, everybody's abandoned you and your family. You remember old Mephibosheth? He's gone. He, he left you a long time ago. There's none of those people around. Everybody's abandoned you, David. 
So one day, David and his soldiers, they move into the, the old city of David. It's kind of on the edge of modern Jerusalem. It was David's home home. And they retake it. And David goes to the palace. And there's this brutal moment in David's life where he's walking through the palace. And he's remembering, you know, better times. Times when his, his children would call him dad and hang out with him and do fun stuff and sing and celebrate and joy. When his grandchildren would cling to his robes, love on him. And it's all gone. It's all gone. He's the king, but he's the king of nothing, it seems to him. And suddenly, suddenly he realizes that in the shadows, someone is there. Someone is still there. And he looks and he sees this scraggly figure on the floor who's, 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 who's got a, a full-grown beard and his nails are long and he's unkept. And it's Mephibosheth. And David says, what are you doing here? They all told me that you had abandoned me, you had left me, you had forgotten me. Mephibosheth says, I could never forget you. I'm so thankful for you. I thank you, I thank you every day for my life, for bringing me to the table, sitting, there, sitting me there at your side. You brought me out of the dirt. You brought me to the table. You invited me to be like a son to you. Just because other people desert you, I can't do that. I'm so grateful for you, David. Mephibosheth says, Todah to David, for showing him Hesed. When he was there in Lodabo and forgotten, the target of assassins, David had brought him to the palace and set him at his table and treated him as, as a prince and as his own son. And Mephibosheth can never forget that. And in all of the pain and the hurt and the brokenness in this family, this gratitude, this thank you from Mephibosheth is the, sign, is the shining moment. It's not all the crown princes running around that David has created. It's this boy Mephibosheth saying, thank you. And not just saying it, but doing it. Living out his thanks. David had showed gratitude to his old friend Jonathan by rescuing Jonathan's son Mephibosheth. And now Mephibosheth shows gratitude by standing by David when his own family turns against him. And here's the bright moment. And I think that years later, when Jesus was serving the, the Last Supper, as we call it, he looked around that table and he didn't see Peter who didn't deny him. He didn't see Judas who would betray him or these guys who would run out on him. He remembered his great, 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 great plus granddad, David, and how David had brought Mephibosheth to his table. And I think Jesus looked at that table that night and all he saw were a bunch of Mephibosheths. I think that's all that Jesus sees when we come to the table. And the invitation to us is to say thanks in our life that we've been invited to that table and welcomed there and given a place at the table, just like the band sang. And to live out of that gratitude by saying and doing thanks. And that will change the world. Now, 
Your action steps are very important. And I've never had anybody do this that didn't have a transforming experience. So, so give yourself that opportunity. Really try it out. First thing is just start a gratitude journal. Just get a little book, notebook, pad, do it on your phone, whatever you need to do. Those of a certain age will we'll use a notebook. Those of another age, you'll do it on your phone. You know, whatever works, right? And just make a list of the things and the people that you're thankful for. Just make the list. Try to come up with 100 as fast as you can. I bet you can do it. I'm trying to get 1,000 by Mother's Day, but, but try to come up with 100. Just start there. And then in the journal, make a list of the people you need to thank. And some of them may, may be people whose names you don't even know. The lady who helped me when I fell in the parking lot. I said that in the first service, and a lady came up after the service and said, how did you know? I fell in the parking lot this week, and somebody came up and picked me up and dusted me off and helped me out. It's going to be people you know and people you don't know. But just, just think about those people you need to thank. And then third, be intentional in thanking the people on your list. And when I say thank, uh, I'm, I'm saying say the words, but also do the action. Let the words and the list lead you to where you need to be in ministry for Jesus Christ. Buy the journal, make the list, start the thank yous, and watch your life be transformed. We join me now in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.